Okay, so let's start this off, Mythbusters. Uh, if, you, if you want to know some yes or no questions today, to, to, you know, to your answers, then you have come to the wrong place. Thank you. You remember from last week, right? I mean, we're just not here to give a bunch of yes or no answers. I wanted to say this right now because I'm afraid I'm going to get into this message and forget it. Jesus Christ did not die so you would have all the answers. He died so you would know him. And so when we ask questions, I think, I think we're short-circuiting. I think, I think we're taking shortcuts a lot of times when we ask the questions. We want to know yes or no. You know, Jesus, I got a question for you. Think about the Pharisees that came to him constantly asking a question. What did they want? They just wanted an answer so they could argue. They were looking for an easy answer. Yes, no, A, B, C, true, false, something like that. Because that's a whole lot easier, isn't it? Isn't it easier to study for a test than it is to build a relationship? I mean, you can cram for a test the night before and do pretty good the next day. And that's, that's what we're doing. Think about it. When we're asking these questions, Pastor, I just wanted yes or no. I didn't want a long, I didn't want a long sermon about the thing. Tell me yes or no. We're taking the shortcut. We're just wanting to know things about God. But Jesus Christ didn't die so you would know things about him. He died so you would know him. So you're not going to get a whole lot of yes or no answers out of pastor, not just in this sermon series. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of who I am. You're not going to get a lot of yes or no's out of me. I, I mean, because it's deeper than that. It's more important than that. But let's dig through a few of these. Got several questions that we've received uh, through text uh, or, and Twitter and, and through the cards. We'll share it this morning also. So let's, let's begin with this first one. And uh, it is heaven for real is the first one we've got there. Is heaven for real? Yes. Next question, right? I mean, yes, heaven is for real. I, I think, though, people are talking about this movie that's out, right? Or the book, you know, the book that was out, now the movie's out. Is heaven for real? For real, I think is the real question that we're being asked. And uh, I don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings or... You know, if you're really into it, I haven't read the book, sorry. You know, I haven't seen the movie, okay? Let me also say about it, I see it, and I'm sorry if I offend you, but I see it as anecdotal, you know, as a side issue. It should not be something that we wrap our lives around, whether this book is real or this movie is real and the things that are going on is real. It's anecdotal. It's a, it's a side issue. And I'm going to explain here in, the, in these moments right here that we have, okay? So just four little things real quick about it. And first of all, remember this. And this may be not addressing this particular question, but I want you to remember this. We are not going to live in heaven forever after this life is over. There is another place that God is preparing for us. It's not heaven, okay? So when we talk about heaven and we go into heaven, so, so when somebody says they've seen our eternal eternity or, or where we're going to be forever, nobody's seen our eternal home city or hometown. Nobody's seen that yet. It has not yet been revealed. It's not there. But, but you can say, yeah, there have been some, and, and we'll get there in just a moment, but just get this and remember this. Nobody has seen where we're going to live forever. I mean, I mean, it stands to reason. Isn't there something inside of you that tells you there's more beyond this? I mean, there is. You know, I mean, and, and, and you're believing, you're hoping that, right? When this is over, we're going to have something and have something awesome. Uh, it's not heaven, and it's not that place where God's, uh, God exists on the throne right now today, okay? Secondly, when there is a conflict, 
I, I, I want to caution you in this. When there's a conflict between what man says, you know, I went to heaven and I saw this. When there's a conflict between that and the Word of God, which are you going to believe? Okay, so I haven't seen the movie. I haven't read the book, you know, so I'm not coming down on this particular one or any particular one. But when there is a conflict, what are you going to believe? Let's remember from Timothy last week, chapter 1, verse 4, I believe it was. Let's remember there that we've got to make sure that we have nothing to do with myths and fables and, and, and things that don't line up with the Word of God. But when we see something doesn't line up with the Word of God, then we've got to say, wait a minute, I've got to reject that. Here, here's the kind of thing, what this is saying, this is number two. What I'm saying here is this. Are we going to believe man's Word or God's Word? It always has to come down to God's Word. And, and if we're not careful, it's so easy to say, but this sounds so good, Pastor, I want to believe it. It might be, sound good too, and you might want to believe it, but we have to believe what the Word of God says. Now, I, I don't, you know, I'm not judging the book or the movie. Okay, I'm talking about this, this specific all-around thing. So thirdly, let's look at this. What about those that the Bible tells us have actually gone and seen into eternity? What is it that they say about these things? And there's two specific ones in Scripture that I want to share with you this morning for just a quick moment. And the first one is Paul, uh, and this is in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And Paul, Paul's being, he, he's being, uh, you know, he's not wanting to be prideful here. He's being humble, and he's, he's talking about himself, but he says, I know a man, uh, you know, all theologians, all the Bible scholars say. He's talking about himself because we know this happened to Paul, but here's kind of where he explains it. He says, I know a man in Christ, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Okay, he says, I, I was caught up into the third heaven. I was caught up in the heavens. And, and he started, you know, he, he says, I saw these things, obviously. I was there. I, but he said, I don't really know if I was in my body or not. Okay, so here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. You know, half of what we preach from on Sunday morning, the New Testament, as a New Testament church, is written by Paul. And what does Paul say? He says, I don't even know if I was really there or not, okay? So if Paul doesn't know if he was really there or not, then how can we, can, you know, how can we really say that someone else did? The second one is John, and this is in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, then John said, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, John says, I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it, in the Spirit. So he's, saying, he's not saying I necessarily was there visibly, seeing it visibly. With, he says, I was in the Spirit, and I saw these. It sounds like he's saying, I saw a vision. Okay, so here's the thing. I know you want a yes or, no, yes or no answer. Is heaven for real? For real. But here's what I got to tell you. I don't know. I wasn't there. I, you know, and, and I've, heard, I've heard people say, I believe that this part of the book says, and I believe it lines up. And, but then I've heard other people say, yeah, but this part over here doesn't line up. See, there's the problem. Is we don't even know if it's real or not. And if it's not real, then, then we got to kind of, let's say it's anecdotal. It doesn't really matter because it cannot really tell us anything we don't yet know. Because when it tells us something, the only way to know that it's the truth is what? To go to the Scripture 
and see if it lines up. So it's not telling us anything new. The only thing it's really doing is it's telling us, uh, whether this book, this movie, or, or if you've heard someone else give their testimony, if they died and they, they went and they saw, and, uh, or they, they weren't really sure if they were there. The, the only thing it really does for us is it reminds us, yes, there is something after this. And that's what we ought to embrace and that's what we ought to celebrate, and that's what we ought to praise God for. Not the specifics of it, but to just say, yes, there is something bigger than this, beyond this, somewhere down the road, there is something more that you and I, into eternity, there's something more that you and I are going to experience. And that's what we ought to celebrate and to receive. Because here's the fourth thing. If we're not careful, we will begin to preach a gospel of heaven a gospel of after the life, instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, he doesn't really want us talking about what's it going to be like over there. He wants us talking about him. Jesus raised several people from the dead while he was here. In that just three years of his ministry, he raised several people from the dead. Lazarus was one. Jairus' daughter was another. There was a, there was a little boy who, who died, and he stopped the funeral procession in the city of Nain, and he raised him back to life. And, and, and in every one of these... There's never a time where they sit down and they interview the person and say, now tell me what you saw. Was there a light at the end of the tunnel? You know, what, what, to tell me what you saw. Every time, what was the purpose? If there was a purpose, it was to bring glory to God. And so everything, everything about this, so, you know, we need to reject all of that. All the rest of that is anecdotal. The only thing that matters is, is that it's saying, us, yes, there is something beyond this. There's something bigger than me. There's something more awesome than us. So embrace that. And set, set the other aside, and let's just go on with that. And if you still got problems with that, let's talk about it, okay, a little while later. So, okay, so here's, here's the second thing, and this is a, a, a second myth here today, and, uh, and a question also that was given, and, and it's about, about Christmas. Okay, now this is one that's really, really dangerous. You know, you start talking about people's holidays and stuff, you know, you can really get in trouble. Is Christmas a pagan holiday? You don't have to get worried because I'm not going to say yes on this one, Okay. Uh, I'm not going to say it, it is a pagan holiday. Well, what does pagan mean? You know what pagan really means? Here, here's the definition. Number one, is a follower of a polyethe polytheistic religion. So think about this. What, what is Christmas? Christmas is the day we celebrate the birth of the one Son of God. So not polytheistic. We're talking monotheistic here. So, and, and I know you're going to say, well, but pastor, you think, oh, no, no, but listen to this. The whole world knows Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Even people who are rejecting that say, well, we don't celebrate that part. They know it's about Jesus, you know. And they know it is. And, and, and even, even though they do all the, uh, the Santa Claus, you know, and, and the, the, the Rudolph the reindeer, you know, and whatever else they do, they know it's about the birth of Jesus Christ. And even though it may be twisted, even though other stuff may come into it, it is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Don't call it pagan by all means. Keep embracing it. Making it do everything you can to make it more and more about Jesus Christ every year because the second definition of pagan is one who has little or no religion and who delights in sensual pleasures and material goods. Now that sounds like Christmas in America, right? <laughs> Look at that. Uh, little or no religion, delights in sinful pleasure, uh, sensual pleasures and material goods. Yes, there are pagan things that have crept in. So what do we do with it? Do we throw it away? No. Man, we embrace it. This is the time that everybody is thinking about, even when they don't want to think about it in the back of their mind, they're thinking about a little babe and a manger that was the son of God that was born that night. 
So this is, no, don't throw it away and call it pagan. No, it is a, it is a Christian holiday. And it still has its roots, and everyone knows this is what, even if they're atheists, they know this is what, even if they're atheists and they get a day off and they get, they get a, a paid holiday, they know they're getting it because there was a little baby that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago that was called the Son of God, even if they don't believe in him. So no, it's not. Don't throw it away, okay? Let's, let's not be too hasty there. It is not a pagan holiday. All right, and so now uh, the third one. Let's, let's, let's go to this one. This one won't take very long because uh, uh, I really don't have an answer for this, this one for you because I don't know. It doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say. Why did people in the Old Testament live such long lives? Okay, the question is not did they. The question is why. But I really don't know anything to share with you other than the, fact, the facts that we can read in the Bible. And, and those address more of the fact of whether they did or not rather than why. Did they? Okay, up to the time of Abraham in the Bible, the book of Genesis tells us that people lived a lot longer, hundreds of years longer than you and I are living today. There are, there are other historical writings, such as the Sumerian Kings List, which is, it's, it's, it's weird, okay, but it's a, it's a historical record from, from those times. And it also talks about people living longer lives during those same 3,000, 4,000 uh, B.C. before Jesus Christ lived. It talks about the same thing. So there is other historical evidence that that, that, was, that was probably happening. But about the time of, of Abraham, it meant life expectancy and, and life you know, the amount of life or years that people live just dropped off significantly. And there's even a scripture there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, where God talks about, my spirit will not always strive with man, and that, yeah, I'm going to give him 120 more years. Yet, it, 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 we really don't know if, he, it really sounds like he's talking about, I'm going to give him 120 more years before the flood is going to come. That's all that he's got left. So it's not necessarily God is limiting it to 120 years, but it drops off significantly there. And then Moses, Moses writes, uh, he writes a psalm, and it's Psalm not chapter 90. In verse 10 of chapter 90 uh, of, of the Psalms, he, he, he talks about man being allotted 70, maybe if, if he's lucky, 80 years. And so by the time Moses is alive, it's dropped down to about 70 or 80 years. Now, you and I say, well, that's about where we are today. Yeah, but if you look back, you'll see lots of times in history that it dropped much lower than that, about half that, 30 to 40 years old, it would be life expectancy because of disease and, and all kinds of, well, because life was hard. In a lot of ways, it was just because life was hard. And, and so, you know, life expectancy and longevity has fluctuated much over the history. But it's obvious, according to Genesis, it's, it was obvious that, hey, it used to be a whole lot longer. The question is why. I don't know why. God didn't tell us why. That's one you're going to have to save till you see him one day. But scriptures tell us that it happened, so we just believe, hey, something. And, you know, and we can believe. Somebody was talking about this before service, said, you know, I've heard that maybe the, their days were different or whatever. Well, if that's the case, then that means God had to readjust the sun, you know, and, and, the, and the earth and how it spun. And, and we don't have any evidence of that. So, it, it, you know, we just have to take it at face value for today. And when we get to heaven and talk to God about it, we can ask God those questions. And so I get a lot of questions like that. And so, and I can't bring all of those to you because, you know, they're, not, they're just basically things to share. Why did I share one of those when I say, we really don't know? Because I want you to know, there's, there's a lot of those kinds of things. Because you and I, again, we have these finite human minds that in no way can understand the universe, much less the God that created this universe. And so we have to embrace by faith. 
Okay, and uh, I've, got, I've got one more here just before we get into the main one, the very last one. Somebody asked, I want to know what Satan's nature is. Is he omnipresent? Can he read minds, etc.? Okay, this is a good one. Uh, this is one I'm really glad to share with you this morning. First of all, let's talk about Satan's nature. Satan is a fallen angel, meaning he was an angel created just like all the other angels. So he has nothing more or less than the rest of the angels. Okay, he's just an angel. Uh, Revelation 12, 9 speaks of it. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. He was one of the angels, and he was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. He is just an angel. So let's talk about his power for just a moment. Um, in uh, Jude verse 9, it says, But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. Okay, so here is Michael, and, and, and say, this is the time where Michael and Satan are, are, are facing off against one another. And, and Michael, as an angel, we're seeing the power of angels right here in Michael and in Satan. But even Michael did not bring, a, uh, I think the King James says, a railing accusation against Satan. He just said, the Lord rebuke you and to win his battle. And so no, Satan cannot read your mind. Satan is not... Uh, omnipotent. He's not all-powerful, only God is. He, he doesn't have all of that power. He's not able to. But look what Michael does to him with just the words. Not in his own power, but just the words, the Lord rebuke him. Here's the reason, one reason I wanted to bring this to you, is if that worked for Michael, it'll work for you. You fight a battle with the devil this past week, how about this coming week? It happens. You don't have to come up with some big accusation against Satan. All you got to do is say, the Lord rebuke you. But in whatever will is that God is trying to bring into your life, when you say, the Lord rebuke you, you are saying, look, you're in God's way. You're not getting, my, you're in God's way, and you're, you're saying the Lord is rebuking you because you don't fit in this. This is not the plan for you to be here, and you kick him out of your way. That'll work for you so that God can bring all of the dream that he wants to bring into your life, everything that he's been thinking about, everything he's been planning, it'll happen when, when instead of raising up in your own power, just say, the Lord rebuke you because there's a dream that God has for my life. And when you speak that, then Satan has to get out of the way. Another part of, of Satan's power, uh, just talk about it a little bit. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, is he, is he omnipresent with something that was asked? It, meaning, it, can he be everywhere at all the times? No. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, for 21 days, this is, this is uh, uh, Gabriel probably talking, for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Now he's talking about, he's talking about demons and, and demonic forces. He said he blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the other archangels, came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So Gabriel, this archangel, saying, I've been trying to get here with the answer. Have you ever prayed and, 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 you, and you thought, like, I wonder when the answer is ever going to show up? Here, Daniel did. Daniel prayed for 21 days, and the answer didn't show up, didn't show up, didn't show up. Finally, on the 21st day, an angel showed up. Man, isn't it a good thing Daniel didn't quit on the 20th day? Come on. I, I, I want to encourage somebody here. You might be on the 20th day, so don't slow down. Don't quit. Gabriel might be showing up tomorrow. Pray one more day. So Gabriel shows up and he says, I've been coming, for 21 days I've been trying to get here, but I've been fighting th these demon demonic forces. And then Michael, the other, he finally showed up. And, and, and so now he's fighting this. So I left him and now I've come to give you the answer and now I'm going to go back. So what are you seeing there? We're seeing Michael was in one place and he came to fight. Gabriel was fighting and he came to Daniel to give the answer. Now he's going back. Angels are not omnipresent. They can't be all places at one time. Okay, so Satan isn't either. So chances are, you and I, we're not really facing Satan every week. You know, 
One of us might be facing Satan, you know, but all of us are not facing Satan. But can I give you my favorite scripture about Satan? Here, here, here's my favorite. And it's, not, it's not the one where he's going to be bound and, you know, thrown for a thousand years, you know, into a bottomless pit. No, here's my favorite right here. It's because, yeah, you just saw a few moments ago when I read that scripture, it said that, that he took his angels with him. Can I tell you how many he's got? Let me show you how many he's got. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. His tail, talking about this dragon that is called Satan, his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. Okay, these stars in the sky, he's talking about the angels. He has one-third of all the angels that God created in the heavens are now his angels. But you know what that means, don't you? That means there's two-thirds still on God's side. That means every time a demon comes against you, there are two of God's angels that are still standing there against him. That means no matter how many angels come against your family or how many demons come against your family, there are twice as many angels to fight them off. And then we're, we're not even talking about then the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about even that as well. There are twice as many angels as there are demons. You have power. Take it in you and, and take it with that authority to say, the Lord rebuke you. Because I've got an awesome dream that God wants to give to me. Amen. So here's my last one. Here, here's the last one. This, this one's really kind of scary just a little bit. Can you at any point lose your salvation? Anybody want to come take that one for me? I mean, because here's the thing. You know, you start, I, I start reading all these, you know, that are coming in, you know, the tweets that are coming in. And I get to this one, you know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm sitting out here today. There are going to be people who have heard all of their life. Absolutely, you can lose your salvation. And then there are people that have heard all their life, absolutely not, you cannot lose your salvation. And then there are some of you, you've been to several different churches, so you've heard both, right? And then there are some of you sitting here saying, what are y'all talking about? You know, I don't, I don't even know, you know, what, what's going on here? Okay, let me talk just a little bit about perspective. Y'all know what perspective is? Changes everything. Perspective. And perspective sometimes has nothing to do with truth. Perspective, you know, it doesn't have to be about truth. Perspective doesn't. Perspective can be different for all of us. And so here's what's going to happen. Those of you who believe you can, you can absolutely lose your salvation, you're going to think I'm coming down on the side of the others. That's okay because they're thinking I'm coming down on your side in just a moment. Because what, I think if you, because you got people who, who believe that every time you slip up, you gotta, you got to go be baptized in water again and you got to repent. And, you know, and so, man, you, pray, you can be praying salvation prayer three or four times a day, you know, because every little thing that you think, or it goes through your mind or whatever. And then you got people on the other end of the spectrum that say, if you are the incarnation of Hitler, but you prayed the prayer when you were 12 years old, you cannot lose your salvation. Okay, now, I don't think there's anybody in this room that believes either one of those. Those are the opposite ends of the spectrum. But somewhere in the middle, it probably is the truth of God. And that's why when we try to come down on the truth of God, you know, when, when people are fighting for their space and their place, we just make people angry when we try to find the truth because they say, no, I think it's more this. No, I think it's more this. And it's about perspective, okay? And perspective is going to mess us up a whole lot. Let me show you just a little bit about perspective. Pierce, come help me just a minute. I didn't even see where, where's Pierce sitting? There he is. I'll bring Pierce up. Now, I've got him set just a little bit to help me here, okay? Y'all don't get worried. I don't call people out like this without telling them. Come on, jump up here with me. Now, I, I chose Pierce because uh, I wanted you to see that perspective can be totally different for people who are so much alike. I mean, P Pierce and I, I mean, we look so much alike, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, he, he's, you know, he, he's a, 
a few weeks younger than me. We're not quite the same age, okay? But I mean, you know, virtually twins, wouldn't you say? Hey, amen, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and we talked about, talked to Brooke before service, and she, I said, could brought you up. She said, yes. And he said, but she better, yeah, and I didn't want to be showing up that much. So I just brought Pierce instead of Brooke this morning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to describe what we see right before us, okay? And I want you to see how perspectives are totally different, all right? So let me go first. And I had, I had them do that, okay? We didn't just have a power outage. <clears throat> kind of dark. Uh, it's hard to make out faces, indistinct. You know, that, that, that's kind of where we are. It's kind of, you know, dark and indistinct. You can't really make out. It's kind of drab. I mean, all the beautiful colors I saw out in the hall where the lights were bright, you know, I, I, I can't see the colors here right now. So it's kind of dark and drab. And, and uh, we're in a big building. Okay, this is a really big, nice room. Yeah, good. But it's still closed up. You know, it's still closed in. You can't see in, out. You can't see in. So even though it's, it's a big room, it's still kind of closed up. Okay, so that, that's, that's kind of my perspective of what I see. Now, let's see what Pierce's perspective is. Go ahead, Pierce. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Just one moment. Now, Pierce, tell me what you see. What? No, wait, 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 wait. No, are you sure? Positive. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, endless color, uh, expansive growth. Now, man, you are crazy. Are y'all agreeing with him or y'all agreeing with me? I mean, what do you, which, which is it? I mean, it, it can't be both, can it? There's no way it can be what I described and what he described. I mean, th- this, is, this is crazy. See, here's what perspectives do. Perspectives... He and I are standing in the same place. How close are we to truth? We are just, I'm just as close to truth as he is. But perspectives, you know, here's what perspectives do. Perspectives, instead of enabling us to see truth, they cause us to find what's wrong with you. You're wrong. And to, and to focus on to focus on the differences that we have, because the best perspective to have to really understand what's going on in life is not from right here, but it's from the cross, looking down at where we are. And when he looks down and he sees the truth, this is where we really stand. It's not out that end of the spectrum, not out that end of the spectrum. It's not in this dark room, or it's not up here in the beauty of color and all of those things, which has gone away by now. Uh, but but it. it, it that's the perspective, if we want to know the truth, is what Jesus Christ saw. But, but perspectives, they focus on each other's errors. How I was raised, how, how uh, Pierce was raised, how you were raised, the things that you've heard, the things, your experiences, they cause us to focus on it. Thank you, Pierce. I appreciate you, Pierce, for helping me out with that. He had to, he had to be willing to, to just jump in there and throw He didn't know we were going to do that to him with the color back there, so he did a good job. Thank you, Pierce. Perspectives make us fight each other. Perspectives make us challenge one another, and so we're constantly challenging one another instead of finding out what God really wants us to know. He he didn't die so that we would know an answer. He died so we would know him. David Platt said said something. uh, Great quote. I, I wrote this down for you this week. When Jesus came up to the first disciples and said, follow me, That was not an invitation to pray a prayer. That was a summons for these men to lose their lives. Salvation is not praying a prayer. That's awesome. Salvation is losing your life in Jesus Christ. 
It's becoming one with him. It's not saying, okay, ABCs of salvation, you know? It's not saying the ABCs of salvation, that being it. And, and, and that, that's on both ends of the spectrum. Because, I, you know, those, those, those who are saying, oh, well, if Hitler prayed when he was 12 years old in Sunday school, if he went to one Sunday school class and prayed, he's in heaven today. And, and I'm not saying he's not in heaven, but based on what we know about him, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to you know, disagree with you there. But, you know, get to heaven, find out he's there. Hey, that's up to him and God. But that's not just them that believe that because these over here that think, you, 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 you know, you get saved four or five times a day, you're just praying the ABC prayer. That's all you're doing. You're just going through the motions. If you're doing that, I, I mean, here in the middle somewhere is the reality of, of, of what it really is. And it is about losing your life in Jesus Christ. You see, because what we do often is, is, is when we ask these kinds of questions, can you lose your salvation? We're kind of like a, an eight-year-old little boy, you know, who is really badly wanting to do something that his mom has told him, you better not do that or you're going to get in trouble. And so then what does he do? He said, well, how much trouble am I going to get into? Come on, some of y'all, y'all have that little boy, right? We have him. He's only three years old right now, our grandson, but we've got him. Yeah. How much trouble am I going to get into? You know, what's this going to cost me? And then when he finds out what it's going to cost, then he says, do I really, I, I think I'll go ahead and do it. I don't mind paying that price for it. That's what we do when we ask these kinds of questions. We're asking, we're asking God, God, what is it? What, you know, what is it we're going to have to have to pay if we sin a little bit? And how much do we have to sin? Do we send a little bit and God writes us all, scratches our name out? Or do we send four times a day, five times a day, 20 times? A day, or what is it? And we ask those questions. Why are we even asking that question? You know, for what David Platt said there reminded me of something. Is that, is that the relationship of salvation is more like marriage probably than any relationship that we have in our life. And let me show you what I mean. Because a marriage is not a moment. It is not the moment that you say, I do. A marriage begins with courtship. And then there's a proposal you know, you know what a proposal is? It's not just this, okay? A proposal is, hey, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. What do you think about it? And then, you know, it's kind of like almost a negotiation, right? That's what a proposal is, is a negotiation. And then, and then you go and stand, you know, before all your friends and family members and, and a minister or something, and, and, and you make vows to one another, and you seal it with a kiss, and you consummate it that night, you know, on your honeymoon. And then what do you do? The next morning you wake up and you live it out every single day for the rest of your life. That's salvation. Salvation is not praying a prayer for a couple of moments Salvation is an encounter that you have with God, like courtship. There's proposals where God says, I want to do this for you. I'm dreaming awesome, amazing, beautiful, wonderful things for you, and I want to do them. And you got to say, uh, yeah, that sounds great, God. And there's some vows made back and forth. It is sealed and it is consummated by, by your relationship of spending time in intimacy with him on a daily basis through, through his word and through prayer. And, and, and worship, even per, not, just, not just for a few minutes on Sunday, but all week long, you know, listening to those same songs and just, oh, man, it's all, and getting along with him, spiritual intimacy. And then it is lived out every single day. That's what salvation is. It's not, you know, when, when you get married, you don't ask, what's the end of this going to look like? You don't ask that question. If you ask that question, chances are that one's going to fail. You don't start thinking about the end when you're building a relationship. 
And every day that you live that relationship and every day that you try to make your marriage greater, you're not thinking about the end. You're thinking about making it greater and working. And, and so if one day a spouse turns to their spouse and says, you know what, I'm thinking about ending this thing. Now today, in today's culture and society, you know what's happening. It's like, well, hey, if you want to, let's go find a lawyer today. That's the way people act. But I pray for you over your marriage that if one of you starts to get weak and you say, I just don't know about hanging in here, I pray that the other one bows up and says, no, wait a minute. I got into this thing for the long haul. I didn't plan an exit strategy. I'm not looking to get out of this. I'm looking to make this the very best marriage that has ever existed in the history. And if you leave me, I am going on a chase to hunt you down and do everything I can to bring you back to myself because you are mine and I am yours and we are one now. And you know where that desire comes from? The Jesus that hung on the cross. That if you leave him today, he is going on a chase. And he will never let go until he finds you and he brings you back home because you and he became one. And you are still one in him. So... That's the wrong question. You don't ask that question at the beginning or the middle or at any point of the relationship. That's the wrong question. I, I got to do things totally different here, guys. Uh, band, worship team, come on out. Um, they're hiding back there. Y'all didn't know they were here. I blew their cover today. I'm sorry. We gotta, I got to do that. Prayer team, would you just get in place? I got to do something just a little different here. This is not the most um, smooth of all transitions, but it's, it's, it's important this way. I, I just, man, God's been on me. I, I appreciated so much a little while ago when Jamie said, look, I think God wants me to say something. I appreciated that so much because I knew God was moving in this place today in, a way, in, in individual hearts and lives. I want to ask you to do something for me. I've got, I got four little points I want to run through really, really, really quick. I want to ask you to do something we used to do in our old building. We haven't done here because it's a little different, but I want to do that this morning. But there's a reason I want to do it. So I want to ask you to stand, if you will. If you will, come join me at the front. This is something we used to do in our, our old, smaller building. So if you're a first-time attender, we, we come to the front. We close with a final song, a final prayer. I kind of sensed this earlier in the week, but I kind of argued with myself that, ah, you're just wanting to do it because you always did it. But this morning, it's just been very, very obvious to me that God wants to do something very important here today. Uh, press on in just a little bit. This is one of the reasons we hadn't been doing it. <laughs> it's because of this. Thank you. Four last things real quick. I'm still talking about that right up there. Can you lose yourself? But wrong question. The Bible is not a book to tell you how to get away from Jesus. It's a book to tell you how to get to him. Quit, you know, that's not even a question. You know, how do I lose my... That's not even a question. Don't even ask the question. Jesus Christ, he's already died for you. If he's died for you, there is nothing he won't do to hang on to you. He doesn't plan on losing one of us. So he's not interested in the question. Wrong question. Don't ask it. He's not interested in, in talking about it. Not even going to discuss this today. Come on here now. This is not what this is about. Losing your, losing me, Jesus says, I died for you. I've already done everything I can. There is no, I'm not planning on losing a one of you. Let me put it in other terms. 
How far will a dad go to bring his daughter or his child home? Let me, let me, let me, let me paint the picture for you. Dad, your daughter gets abducted, kidnapped. For weeks, they're gone. You don't know where they're at. You're looking for signs. All of a sudden, you get a phone call. A police officer in some other place. Tell me, how far away would that police officer have to be when they say, we have found your daughter, she is here with us safe. How far away would that, would that police officer have to be away from your house for you to say, that's too far for me to go? There's no answer, is there? Wrong question, right? The question is, how fast can I get there? You know where that comes from? You know where that desire comes from, Dad? It comes from Jesus Christ who hung on the cross of Calvary. And he doesn't care how far, if you walk away from it, he doesn't care how far you go. The question is how quick he can reach you and get you back. He said, we need to rediscover, last little point, we need to rediscover how God truly feels about us. And quit arguing over questions that don't matter. You need to rediscover how, how God truly feels about you.